Turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 9, and then we'll have a word of prayer together before we look at this text. Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. As Hayward mentioned, he came, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross, was raised and ascended and is coming again. And he did it all for the likes of us, all for sinners who had no hope, nothing that they could do. He saved us by his grace. We're thankful tonight, and as we look at this passage in which he is central, we pray that you would open our hearts to what is said. Bless each one that's here tonight. Draw us closer to you. Keep us looking up, seeking the things that are above. And we pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. The the title for this sermon that I have is called The Relationship of Prayer and Spiritual Power. I've come up with another title, but I'm not going to confuse those in the back. I'll just stick with that. The Relationship of Prayer and Spiritual Power. Now, tomorrow in our class on Walking in the Spirit, we're going to look, Lord willing, at eight different biblical means that God has given us to get from the day of our salvation, our justification, to the end of the course. Eight different means that we are to be using and that if we don't use, we can't get there because these means are essential to our finishing the race finishing the course. Now in this sermon title, The Relationship of Prayer and Spiritual Power, prayer is one of the eight means, and I think it's one of the top two, if not the top, means that God has given to us. When you think of means, I I want to try and give you an illustration that I came up with today or maybe in the last week to share with our class tomorrow as to how we would think of means. Means are things that we need in order to accomplish something. And I'm going to use the the illustration of Neil Armstrong and his moon landing. How many of you remember what year that occurred? 1969. We were on our way from the Washington, D.C. area that night We were in Jackson, Mississippi, staying in a hotel on our way to Dallas so that I could start seminary, just having gotten out of the Air Force. And we will always remember Jackson. The Lord brought us back there, and I pastored there in a church for four years later on. But that night was special. Watching Neil Armstrong get out of that module unit, the lunar module, get out on the moon. And I've always loved this. My uncle was a good friend of him. He was also a NASA test pilot, knew Neil. There was a time in my life when I wanted to be a pilot more than anything until I was saved. Then the Lord had other plans. But Neil Armstrong was kind of, I just really looked up to him. 
Think of this for a minute. I want to use it as an illustration. No illustration is perfect. But think of the rocket that they blasted off in to go to the moon. Neil Armstrong, nor any of the others that were with him, the other two, had anything to do with building that rocket. They didn't plan it. They didn't design it. They didn't build it. They just said, here's the rocket. You, you have a desire to go to the moon. We're going to get you there. Here's the vessel. It's done. Now, they could have said, well, is there anything we have to do to get there? Well, number one, you have to be in the vessel. And I'm likening that to our salvation, becoming a new creature in Christ. He equips us to make the heavenly journey for all eternity. But as believers, once we have that eternal vessel, the new man, we are new creatures in Christ, we have work to do in order to finish the race. There are things that we must do in order to complete this race and arrive at our final destination. So Neil Armstrong and the other crewmen, they had to study. They had to go to Houston, to the headquarters there. They had to do test flights. They had to memorize things. They had to read documents, and they had all kinds of things to tell them how to fly this vessel, how to fly the lunar module that's going to take you down to the moon and get you back up again so you can get home. And there's another thing that they had, along with all of this so far. Another means to get them there and get them back safely was communication, talking with those in the command headquarters. The whole flight, they're getting advice. They're getting leadership. They're getting instruction on how to fly this thing. When emergencies happen, all of the ones at headquarters are going to work and telling them, this is what you need to do to survive. Do this. So they're communicating. And what I want to share with you tonight is prayer is a means designed by God to get us from the day of salvation all the way to the end when we are with him for all eternity, either because we passed away and immediately to be absent from the body was to be present with the Lord and it begin that way, or we are here when he comes back and he changes us instantly and draws us up to himself. But if we are living now, if we are alive as a believer, we have means to apply, and prayer is significant. I want you to see that in this section of Scripture. We're going to look at verses, Mark 19, beginning with verse 14. So follow along as I read, if you would. And think of this again as a means, the communication with God, praying to him for spiritual power, to help us overcome all of the obstacles, all of the temptations, all of the spiritual forces that are waging war against us. And they're there, and they're waging war. Mark 9, uh, verse 14. And when they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. 
And immediately, when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him to the ground. He foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. And I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling about and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the boy's father cried out and began, began saying, I do believe, help my unbelief. By the way, that verse illustrates what's going on in this passage. Because he says, I believe, but then he calls out to the Lord, I need help. I need help. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out. And the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. And when he had come into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why, why could we not cast it out? And he said to him, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. That's where the, the title of the message comes from, the relationship of prayer and spiritual power in our lives. Have you ever experienced times in your life when you fail to overcome spiritual temptations, spiritual attacks for either yourself or maybe others that you were praying for, even though you believed, number one, even though you wanted to overcome, even though you believe that the Lord wanted you to overcome that spiritual attack, and thirdly, even though you had been given the faith and the power it had been made available to you, still you failed. You did not overcome. You did not beat the spiritual foes. What, what was wrong? Very likely, you were experiencing something very similar to what these disciples were experiencing. We're going to look at this now in three parts. The background, 
the healing, and then the private meeting. And the private meeting is where we're going to focus at the end. But here's the background. It occurs immediately after Jesus and Peter and James and John come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. The three of them have been there with Jesus. They have seen something that nobody has ever seen before. They've seen Moses and Elijah. I don't know if they had name tags on. I I don't know how they knew them, but they did. And they saw Jesus and they heard the Father say out of heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am. Well, please listen to him. And then they come down and there's this argument going on. A man has come with a boy. He's asked the nine disciples, evidently, who are down there, if they could heal him. And they wanted to. And they attempted to, but nothing happened. Nothing happened. So it occurs after a major event. The remaining nine disciples who had done this before, They had been sent out two by two. They had cast out demons. They had even come back affirming, I've been able to cast out demons by the power of God. And in this case, they failed. And when Jesus hears what's happened, this is when he cries out, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long will I put up with you? How long am I going to put up with you? He might have been speaking to the father and his family. He might have been speaking to the crowd. But certainly, he was saying something, I think, to the disciples as well. They had failed. So then the conversation comes with the father and Jesus. And he asked Jesus if he could do it. And he says, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus goes on, number two, to bring about the healing. Jesus commands the evil spirit in this young boy to leave and never return. And this evil spirit makes one little last gesture, but then he's gone, and he's gone forever more because Jesus commanded him to leave. Jesus had the power. Jesus may have trusted the Holy Spirit at that time. He certainly did in other times. The Spirit did things through him. I think probably he was teaching us how to live in the Spirit with the Spirit indwelling us. But Jesus, even when he falls over, some think he's dead. He takes him by the hand. He gets him up. He lives and he's free from the work of this demon and his power. And I want you to notice something. This boy evidently was not suffering just because of a physical disease. He was experiencing all of these symptoms because of a messenger of Satan indwelling him. That's the problem. And and I think sometimes we we don't think much about this. Spiritual powers, what they're doing in people. Will there ever be an opportunity for us to pray for someone to be delivered? We don't see this very much here in the United States, although wait a few more years. It could be coming. 
Missionaries have seen it on foreign fields. They've had to deal with it. We don't usually deal with that, but Jesus did. And he freed this young boy. And that takes us to the third and the important section for us to talk about the relationship of prayer and spiritual power. When all this is over, they're walking out with Jesus to a private place and they ask him because they are disturbed. The nine are disturbed. Why, why could we not do that? How, how come we couldn't do it? And Jesus says, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Prayer. That should have sent a message to these disciples. That should have sent a message. I want you to notice a few things. Number one, it seems certainly that they had some level of faith. They believed that they could do this. They knew they had done it. This was not something new to them. So there was some degree, even maybe the mustard seed level of faith, but they were surprised when they couldn't do it. They believed. They had done it. They had seen this happen before. And it was not because it wasn't God's will that the young man would be healed. Because Jesus healed him. And if Jesus healed him, then it was meant for him to be healed. It was part of the will of the Father. So it wasn't because they didn't have faith. They didn't believe. It wasn't because God didn't want it done. Because it was done. And this must have even troubled them more when they saw that they couldn't do it. But Jesus, who sent them out to deal with spirits, he could do it. He could do it. So then Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be dealt with, cannot come out by anything but prayer. In Matthew's account of this incident, he says prayer and fasting. Mark just records prayer. Prayer and fasting, I think, gives us a little bit more idea of what Jesus is talking about, however, because when you fast and pray, what are you doing? If you fast in order to pray, you are giving up your time at the table to feed yourself and nourish your body physically in order to pray for spiritual things. It has to do, what Jesus, I think, is talking about here is fervent prayer, lasting prayer, continuing prayer, concentrated prayer. He says, you're dealing with spiritual forces here. I don't think he's saying that this demon was a special kind. I think he's saying when you deal with this kind of spiritual foe, you better be prayed up. Prayer and spiritual power go together. You can't just have not been praying, not been walking daily in prayer, and then come to this instance and say, Lord, um, uh, deal with that demon, and, and we pray that you'll, you'll deliver him. 
That's not finding the power you need through prayer. What Jesus, I think, is saying here, Jesus is saying, you have become lax in your prayer life. You have become deficient. You have begun to think that you can daily perform miraculous things and deal with spiritual forces in your life without seeking me regularly. Pray without ceasing. You know, it's dangerous in the Christian life. It's dangerous for guys in the ministry. It's dangerous for those who teach and preach. It's dangerous for all of us because it's so easy to begin to think, well, I've done this before. I've overcome this sin. I've overcome this trial. I'm going to let go and let God. No, you have an involvement. God has given eight means, and they're all available to you, and you better start thinking about them, and you better start using them, and especially prayer in relationship to the power of God. Yes, the Spirit lives in you, but if you're not praying daily, Lord, strengthen me in the inner man by the Spirit with power, you're going to fail. You're going to be overcome. You're going to be asking, why couldn't I do that this time? Because Jesus is saying, you better grab hold of that means of prayer. And you better make it part of your life every day because you never know what you're going to experience. You can't wait till it happens. You need to be walking in the power of the Spirit every single day. How much time do you spend praying for spiritual power in a day. How much time do I spend? The Lord has convicted me a number of times in the ministry. It's not just what you know and what you believe. It's are you appropriating my power, my regular communication with me by telling me how weak you are and how you can't do anything in your own strength. And calling out to me to say, I need your help to get to the moon. And I need your help in order to get this ship going back. I need spiritual power. Well, it doesn't come, practically speaking, unless you are a believer that spends time in prayer. And I think probably we all could do better and all pray more, and maybe even give up a meal occasionally, if that's all the time you have, and fast and pray. Fast and pray. I want you to look over at Luke 17, interesting passage. Look with me at Luke 17. And in Luke 17, beginning with verse 5, we read, several interesting things. This is out of the New American Standard. And the apostles said to the Lord, these are the disciples, increase our faith. Does that sound familiar? Here's what he said. 
Sound, this also is familiar. If you, the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. A mustard seed is not too big, as I understand it. Anybody ever seen a big mustard seed? They're little teeny things. If you have just a little bit of faith, you could say to this tree, be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. But now this is interesting. There comes a conjunction. You know what a conjunction is? It joins thoughts. It joins sentences. It joins phrases. So here's the but. But. And, and I'm thinking he's going to tell him how to have even more faith than a mustard seed. But he doesn't talk about that. He talks about faithfulness. Listen. But which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk? And afterwards, you will eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We've done only that which we ought to have done. We have been commanded to pray. Pray without ceasing. Pray for the power of the Spirit daily. Pray always. Pray all the time. These things are commanded to us. We need to do what we've been commanded. The disciples evidently had fallen into that hole where they were sadly thinking, God's given me that gift. I, I don't have to keep you know, thinking about that. I don't have to keep praying about using it. I don't have to keep praying for his power. I can do it. He's given it to me. I've done it before. And Jesus is saying to them, you want to have power when you are in spiritual battles? You better be men of prayer. You better do what you're commanded to do. And you better do this all the time. Listen to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, which I'm, I'm sure you know and is familiar to you. Listen how these things fit together. For by grace... You have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Salvation is entirely the gift of God. Being given eternal life, being bound for heaven, being free from slavery to sin, being free from the penalty of sin, that's all given to us by grace through faith. He goes on to say, it's not as a result of works. It's not something you could do to help out with. That no one should boast. But then listen to verse 10. Now that we are saved, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
We've been prepared for good works, and we are to walk in them. And how do we walk in them? Even as a saved individual, even indwelt by the Spirit of God with a new spirit in our own body, we don't have the power. That's why the Holy Spirit is there, but we must call upon the Spirit every single day of our life and say, Spirit, I need your help. I cannot get through this next 24 hours without you guiding me through the word, leading me, giving me the power to overcome all of the trials, all of the tribulations, all of the temptations. I cannot do it. I cannot do it. In sanctification, we are heavily to be involved. He has provided the means. We are to be busy appropriating those means. One of those means is constant, very important prayer, which goes on all throughout the day, every single day of our lives. Now listen, just some applications. I'm not even sure what time this ends. Let's see. Does anyone know? Josh, do you know? <laughs> okay, it's two after seven. We're okay then. I... 7.15 to 7.30. Okay, we'll shoot for 7.15. Okay, here's some applicational points. Number one, look with me at what we need in order to do battle daily and be victorious over spiritual foes. Here's Ephesians 6. You can turn there if you want to. Paul says, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against, against um, the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against powers and against world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, do you want to go up to battle in your own strength against that? I, I, I hope not. You may be a, a believer and the spirit may be in you, but if you go up in your own strength, you will be a mess, shattered. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith which you will be able to, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. So faith is important. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, another means. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. One of the key elements of the armor of God is to pray at all times, all times, in the Spirit. Take that means and make it a part of your daily living. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition 
And then Paul says, because he knows the importance of prayer, and pray for me, pray on my behalf, that I might preach the gospel. Do you know how that man, what he said about his preaching to the Corinthians? Listen to 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, kind of the way that all pastors should feel when they get up to preach in front of a congregation. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. No pastor should get up. Paul didn't get up ever, I am sure, without much prayer saying, God, I need your help desperately. Only you can make that word come alive. Only you can use it to change lives and hearts, to bolster Christians. I'm just a messenger. No wonder he's there with fear and trembling. No wonder he's relying upon the Spirit to use him. But it takes prayer. It takes our involvement in praying. And it took the disciples. It took the disciples, their involvement. And they evidently had not been faithful in their prayer walks, their prayer life. Also, the necessity of walking in the Spirit is very paramount and very much in focus in James chapter 2. James chapter 2 and verse, if I can get the right page out of here. James chapter 2 and verse 14. James says, what use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Now, that's interesting. We don't have any works in our salvation, but I think what James is talking about here is not our calling, not our justification, not our regeneration. I think he's talking about the process of sanctification, and he's saying Can that faith get him down the road? Can that faith save him? If he just says, I have faith, but he's not doing anything, he's not applying the means, he's not walking in the power of the Spirit. He says, if a brother or a sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give him what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. We've been given eight means. Prayer is crucial. We need to be applying the means. We need to be producing fruit. We need to be doing good works. If we say we have faith and there are no works, it shows that we were never born from above. Never. It's just us. He concludes by saying, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is absolutely useless? 
Jesus was saying, you need faith, men, but you need the faith that will cause you to pray. You need to pray more. You need to pray regularly. You need to pray fervently. You might even need to give up some meals in order to spend time with me in prayer. Prayer and the power of the Spirit go much together, much together. Jesus was not just talking with his disciples about the amount of their faith, but about deficiency in their faith's prayer life. It was not a faith accompanied by a sufficient and earnest prayer, much time, daily, dependent, and a faith that realizes only God can give us what we need to get through the next 24 hours of a day and be faithful to him. It is true that God can work in us both to will and do of his good pleasure. But in the process of sanctification, it won't come unless you're involved. You're aiming at the goal. You have started down the track and you know the direction and you know what he's given you in order to get there, it's up to you and it's up to me to begin to take those and in his strength and power to begin to apply them every single day of our lives, to cry out to him for the grace and power that we need, to say to him, we can't overcome. Do you remember even Michael the archangel when he was confronting Satan said, the Lord rebuke you? He didn't say to him anything. And he was a fellow angel. At least they were fellow angels at one time. We can't take on Satan. We can't take on temptations. We can't take on tribulations. Only God working through and in us in our application of what he's given us and crying out for help will get us there. Only crying out to God for the power to overcome demons will enable us to cast them out. The disciples learned a tough lesson that day, but a very important lesson. This kind can only be dealt with through prayer, or as Matthew says, prayer and fasting. I'm going to conclude with this. We'll actually be out a minute and a half early, maybe. James Montgomery Boyce says this, two things when he summed up this passage in his commentary. He says there's two basic things we should learn from what Mark puts down in this passage. Number one, to be effective in serving God as a Christian in this life we need an ongoing, continuing relationship with him, which is daily. A daily, meaningful, and genuine time with the Lord in prayer. Are we finding time in our days for that? We find time for three meals. We find time for family. 
things. We find time for work. And a lot of these things are important, but are we finding time for the most important? To spend time communicating with God. And he says we need to learn this is a continuing relationship that we need, and you must look for it daily. God beckons us to come. Number two, plus he says, we need to learn that there are no shortcuts in receiving spiritual power and authority. There's no shortcuts here. We don't have what we need for spiritual battles. But he does, and he gladly gives it to us as we seek him, as we come to him, as we pray before him, as we earnestly on our knees cry out to him for the help we need. The disciples failed. It's very easy to get to the place where we just say, let go and let God, it'll all work out. Not without your involvement. Not without your looking at the word of God. Reading the word of God, memorizing the word of God, digesting the word of God, finding the path that we're to walk on, and then crying out to the spirit for the strength to do it. The strength to do it. The relationship of prayer and spiritual power is extremely important. The other title I would use for this message is the relationship of faith, believing, and faithfulness in the one who's manifested faith. The disciples were not manifesting faithfulness and they couldn't do it. And Jesus says, how long will I put up with you? I'm speaking to myself tonight, folks. I need to be more in prayer these days. I want to be more in prayer. And I want to set up a plan, and I want to spend time with God praying, or I will not overcome. Neither will you. Shall we pray? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for its enlightenment and challenge and necessity in our lives. Thank you that all scripture is God-breathed. And it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness so that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And thank you for prayer. Thank you for the means to come into your presence and lay out our needs and receive your help in walking the path of righteousness and overcoming satanic evil, powerful enemies every day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.